Welcome back, dude and dudettes, to another wild episode of Send It, Mate. We're here to talk about all things hunting and outdoors, and today we've got something that'll keep your gear running smoother than a dingo's getaway. That's right, our show is brought to you by High Calibre, the gun and knife hole company that knows how to keep your firearms and blades in tip-top shape. High Calibre is like the secret sauce for hunters, anglers and outdoorsy folk everywhere. It's like the magic potion that makes your gun and knives happier than a dog with two tails. You know, guys, I've been using high-caliber oil for a while now, and let me tell you, it's the duck's nuts. My rifle practically sings a lullaby when I take it out hunting. And speaking of lullabies, ever tried sneaking up on a deer with a squeaky gun? It's a prime way to end up with no venison in the freezer. You'll be hungrier than a vegan at a bacon festival. Absolutely. But with high-caliber oil, your gun will be quieter than a ninja in moonlight. You'll be stalking your prey with the grace and stealth of a mountain lion. High Calibre doesn't just keep things quiet, it also prevents rust and corrosion, so you won't find your gear looking like it's spent a season at the bottom of a creek. That's right, and for you knife enthusiasts out there, High Calibre has got you covered too. Your trusty blade will slice through anything smoother than butter on a hot biscuit. So folks, don't let your gear become a rusty squeaky mess. Head on over to highcalibre.com.au and grab a bottle of their oil today. And if you use the code SENDITMATE at checkout, you'll get a special discount. I say again, use the code SENDITMATE for all your oil slick, stealthy hunting needs. Thanks to High Calibre, you'll be sending it in style and silence. So, gear up, oil up, and send it, mate. High Calibre, the ultimate oil for the ultimate hunter. G'day, 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 you good motherfuckers. Hello. What's uh, going on? Yeah, another episode of Send It, mate. I'm Josh. I'm Caleb. And I'm Ryan. And this week we have a very, very special guest for our listeners out there in fucking radio land. He's actually a childhood friend of mine and he met Caleb once and didn't like him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan wasn't born yet. He was yeah. in he was yeah. in Baghdad when Ryan was in his dad's bag. So oh. yeah. <laughs> anyway, all the way from the USA, ladies and gentlemen, we have Chris Heenan for you today. G'day, mate. How you going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure. No problems at all. Can't say it's a pleasure, but it's good to see you. Ugly face. <laughs> <laughs> How you been, bud? Yeah, good, good. Smashing life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things have changed a lot probably since since we last saw each other, but, yeah, just going with the flow, trying to you know, live a decent life and not be shitty. Good yeah. philosophy. No, just be a little less shit. That's, that's all you got to strive for. <laughs> that, that, that went my answer for best advice question later. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, you can change it. All you need to do is put Caleb at the end of it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't think that's advice. I think that's just how to direct abuse at me. Directed advice at you, Caleb. Uh, well, thanks, mate. Well, I'll tell you, something that's changed considerably since I last saw you is your accent. It's a unique blend. Uh, we had a bit of a chat about this before we started recording. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, it does sound pretty funky. There's definitely some Australian twangs in there, but the, uh, 
the old US accent is. Uh... So you're in Texas, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell a bit of that's coming through as well. But then, yeah, that's it's. I don't know. There's it's all over the shop, to be honest. How how do people go trying to understand you and where you're from? So kind of a, a mix. Yeah, I, I'll occasionally get the uh, the one that will straight up be like, "Oh, you're from Australia, aren't you?" I'm like, "Shit, lucky guess." But then I'll get some that uh, as soon as uh, they hear me, they're like, "What the fuck is that? Um, you from New York, Boston?" And then the other ones that come up are obviously uh, NZ. Uh, and South Africa, uh-huh. and then the occasional one from England. So at this point, after, fuck, what's it been, 14, 15 years, and a lot of dumb, dumb experiences and, and drinking in uh, mixed in with the two accents, I'm just convinced <laughs> that I have this weird wheelbarrow of, of uh, vocal ability now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, your voice has definitely gotten deeper, man. But, I mean, the last time we were chilling... You hadn't hit puberty yet, but <laughs> <laughs> that was last week. Yeah, well, because <laughs> we've linked up post military. We what linked up in fifteen, didn't we? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you come around. Yeah, come come to Adelaide for a beer or two. Yeah, yeah, but it's certainly changed since then. It's gotten a lot thicker. Jesus, I mean, you were working uh, on an onshore rig at that stage, and you were working with a lot of South Americans? I wouldn't say onshore rig. Uh, it was uh, natural gas treating, so kind of same field but a little different from from oil, mostly working with Mexicans because it's the oil and gas industry in Texas. But, yeah, pretty much since I got back in 13, uh, most of my work's been around uh, working with people in the southern states. Yeah, right. And, well, this is going to lead into some get-to-know-you questions. So. Well, shall we just get those happening then? I feel yeah, like we're because I'm well, just going to start asking them anyway. Well, let's find out about the man before you start getting your burning questions happening. Uh, mate, where are you originally from and where are you now? So, originally from Adelaide. Uh, I've been in North Texas uh, since 2008. Uh, well, moved over the states a, a little bit, but majority of the time was in uh, in Texas, uh, and then settled in twenty fifteen ish to uh, to North Texas. Well, we got to ask, why did you originally go over? What what was what was the thing that lured you over there to the US? Uh, I mean, at the point, it was really just given the opportunity. Yeah, I think when the idea of the prospect first came up, I was fuck, maybe even fifteen. And it, uh, it took a couple of years to come to fruition, but it was more a, if I don't do it now, then I'll never have the, the chance to do it. So my old man had moved over and went from a work visa to a permanent residency. And uh, I was under 18 at the time, so I uh, was one of his dependents. So essentially I could get over uh, like that. If I waited until I was over 18, I have to apply uh, you know, for myself. And I figured, you know what? If I don't like it, it's fucking easy. I can just jump on the plane and go back home. Like, but if I don't go there, then I'll never have that opportunity. And this this also set a set a chain of events in motion that changed your life. Actually, getting yeah. as far away from Josh as possible. Yeah, and he suddenly knew what love was. <laughs> <laughs> well played. 
No, yeah, you had a you had a, a series. This pretty much led into a series of events to to where you are now, and and a very very crazy uh, and fucked up life. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what do you What do you run us through? What happened once you were over there as a kid? Like what What was the twists and turns that you endured over there that Josh was talking about? Uh, so let's see. I. Did I had to do my last year of high school over here? So I moved over. Uh, did my my last year of high school? Quick, quick interjection. Uh, did you either get put into lockers or did you put other kids into lockers? <laughs> like the movie. So I went over with I went over with the the mentality of uh, hey, this is going to be rough. I remember seeing all all of this this shit on TV on how how schools can be. And you remember the uh, fuck I'd been going to Russ Smith in uh in adelaide so it's a pretty rough school so first day yeah i'm i'm walking up and one of the yellow school buses are a real thing i was like fuck simpsons was right (laughs) and and then i was just under the mindset of like fuck we're gonna be in fights again i was like i don't know who it's gonna be i was like because i don't think it'll be the lebs over here i was like but god it's gonna be all this shit (laughs) And then as soon as I got there, it was just a massive culture shock. You know, went from, I mean, they have police that stationed on the schools, uh, at least, you know, for a lot of them, and just, fuck it, all over the place. And uh, main thing that really got me, and I was a fucking little shit when I was over there, but it was great because at the time I could just, whenever I fucked up, I could use the excuse I'm far and I don't know any better. <laughs> like, oh, he's so cute. He's right. This is what we no, do in oh, Australia. <laughs> what? They drink yeah, I've got, I got to take 16. note of that one. I can keep using this excuse. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just a massive, massive culture shock. So what was uh, it? Was it, uh, was it easier than what you thought it would be? I wouldn't say easier or harder, just different. Now, it was odd that. Uh, they start high school a year later over here. So what is it in Australia? You start with your eighth grade and then go through, through 12. Yep. So over here, your ninth grade in school is your first year of high school. So when they were looking at my, uh, the transcripts of, uh, of everything that I'd done, they're like, fuck, we don't know how to read this. Like what the fuck is social studies? And I was like, well, that's kind of a bit of geography. It's, you know, and then it's self-explanatory. It's social studies. And they're just like, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, so they they got real nitpicky on on shit that I'd done or hadn't done. So I sent you've got obviously a uh, list of prerequisites of all the courses you have to have done before uh, you can graduate. So you know, there's American history in there, and um, there's American politics and government. So in one year I had to catch up and do several years worth of uh, testing for that. But then at the same time, I had to redo all uh, the fucking classes that I'd done in the eighth grade. So for instance, you have to do two two years of a second language and did two years of German back in Australia. But earlier than that, and I think this is, a difference is, you know, Australia does at least back in the nineties starts second languages, yeah, you know, a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I remember, fuck, it was 
three years of Chinese, year of French, and like year of sign language, and then the two years of German. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I came over to the States, I was like, hey, I've done all this. And they're like, no, nah, you've done one year of German. Like, you're going to start again. <laughs> or it's, you're going to do advanced German. But I hadn't spoken a fucking lick of it in like three or four years. Yeah. So, yeah, real, like, real struggle on uh, that aspect of things. But at the same time, they were like, oh, you have to do basic geography. And I was like, fuck, I was like, I've pretty much done advanced geography. I was like, it's just all the classes actually called geography ended after the eighth grade. You know, and then we went into SOS and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like that kind of get fucked. You're doing it our way. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That would be hard, man. It's pretty rigid by the sounds of it. Yeah. And how did that, did, yeah. did that affect your um, integration to social groups and stuff like that as well? Yeah, I was definitely the uh, kind of the awkward kid there for a while. Well, I was just like, all right, I don't know American sports. So like, yep, not, don't have anything in common with, uh, you know, with the jocks. Like, not goth, not a nerd. It's just like, at the time, it was just like, well, fuck, during lunch, like, we'd kick around a footy and be little shits and, you know, smoke cigarettes behind the shed and then run off if somebody would try to find us. I was like, all right, where's that group over here? I'm like, fuck, they don't even know what a footy is. <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely kind of like wandering around, you know, almost clueless. Yeah, at least initially going like, all right, what are the do's and don'ts? What can I get away with here? <laughs> like, what are the big no-nos? Mm-hmm. Uh, we found out swearing in uh, in class was definitely one of uh, one of those ones. Well, obviously, Josh, when uh, when we went to the same school and your dad was teaching, fuck, feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. He obviously would never, uh, you know, never really cuss at us. I mean, he doesn't cuss at all. Uh, but then, yeah, going to the transition from that then to Ross Smith was, you know, a teacher would call you a cunt to your face. Like, oh, all right. Like, this is this is a rough one. <laughs> so after years of that, it's just like a natural reaction where you occasionally swear in class. And I think it was, yeah, it was my first class in like American history or something like that or... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it, it was American history. And this uh, sweet old teacher, the typical old like American granny uh, in her 70s, real patriotic. Everybody was you know, doing their, their intros for like the, the first day of, hey, here's who I am and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it came to me and I was just like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Chris, I'm from Australia. And then everybody's pretty much like, what the fuck? <laughs> and immediately, immediately, uh, they asked me, they said, uh, oh, what do you think of Steve Irwin? And and I couldn't even, like, yeah, great, great dude. But, I mean, kind of a bit of a knob for <laughs> the, the effect that he's had on, on Australians uh, being in uh, being overseas in different countries. As soon as they said that, I was just, I was like, I was like oh, get fucked. He's a fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole class just looked at me and I was just like, what, what I was it? Like, oh, you guys don't like the C word. I was like, my, my bad guys. Like, uh, I really didn't think that one through. <laughs> so, so within, within like five, 10 minutes of being in this class, I was you know, sent to the principal's office. Uh, we sat down and they're just like, we're going to call this one cultural differences. <laughs> 
Fuck yeah. Yeah, and I was just I was like, yeah, I was like, this uh this transition might take a little bit to get used to. Uh I was like, sorry, that one snuck out and can't promise it won't happen again, but I'll I'll try my best. (laughs) Well played. All right, so fast forward, uh, did you go to college? Uh, I did either one or two semesters. Uh, then uh, decided it wasn't for me. Um, during that time, I was in, uh, in the reserves. And right either during the second semester or right after I'd finished it, if I did finish it, uh, we activated to, to go downrange. So what was your unit? Uh, 123. Army, Navy. Uh, yeah, so so that was uh, in the U.S. Marine Corps. Marines. Very nice, very nice. Where would you end up going? Uh, I did uh, Afghan. All right, so walk us through this because uh, this is where your life sort of gets a bit crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up when so, you were born because of your face, but now it gets <laughs> <get> crazy. <laughs> Shit, he's off camera. <laughs> so, oh, let's see. All right. During, during the, uh, the year in, uh, of high school, I went into something called uh, the delayed entry program, which is <laughs> which, you know, at that point, I was just like, fuck, what am I going to do? That's a sex move, Josh practices. <laughs> the delayed <laughs> entry. <laughs> Oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry, I can't help myself. Keep going, Chris. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. So, um, went into the depth uh, during last year of high school, which I'm actually convinced is why I passed uh, that American history class because I had been miserably f- failing it, and I was like, I was giving it my best, but I was just like, fuck, I don't know this shit. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the teacher found out that I'd enlisted, she like ran up and gave me a big hug. And all of a sudden my grades all went to an A plus. Just like, Oh, this, yeah, this, uh, this is, this is the greatest. I got, I got to take advantage of this while I can as well. So finished um, high school. And then within oh, fuck, it was like three or four days later, I went uh, shipped off to, to boot camp, uh, which was in San Diego. Uh, spent 13 weeks there, I think is how long boot is. Then actually had that, uh, got 10 days of, uh, of leave, then went off to school of infantry for another couple of months back out in, uh, well, this time Camp Pendleton. So a little north of, of, of San Diego. Uh, then after that, I think that was the, the first time I went back to Australia uh, for a few days. That's when uh, Ali graduated from ADFA. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think we linked up that time, Josh. Yeah, we've sure. been like oh nine. Yeah, time frame. Yeah. But Ali's your sister. A- Ali's your sister. For those who don't know. Yep, yep. But yeah, vision's a little hazy. There's been a uh, a lot of events, many of them involving drinking <laughs> since then. <laughs> Good God! Um, but, we started drinking yeah, so, at a young age, man. That was terrible. Those were some weird days. <laughs> That's who Australian. The, who the fuck lets their kids drink at 13? <laughs> Wait, is that your old oh. man? No. Uh, they didn't well, mind I'm as sure. long as it was done in, in their house under their roof. 
Really? Well, Josh, it's better than uh, it's better than my mom thinking that you were trying to get me addicted to drugs yeah. when I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even Little know what a know drug was. She, he had you down by the time you were sixteen. <laughs> I don't even know what drugs <laughs> were. But anyway, so you've joined up. You've uh, done some training. Done some training. You've come to Australia. How come you didn't go full time? Yeah. So so I'd uh, I'd been debating it. Now, when I went into the debt, uh, it was so I moved over to the states towards the end of August two thousand eight. Uh, was trying to work out what I was going to do. Now, to preface it, it, prior to this, like a year or two earlier, I'd spent a couple of months in the states to kind of at least get a feel for things. Uh, so after I'd moved over, oh, I had to you know get started at school. So about a week after moving to the country is when I was starting uh, that year in school. Mm-hmm. Two weeks after that is when I went off to to the delayed entry program. So kind of things were going, you know, real rapid fire. You know, within three weeks of moving over, I'd already you know signed my enlistment papers. Well, when I was talking to all the the different recruiters, you know, the and and I went to all of the National Guard, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, uh, the Marine Corps, and Marine Corps just seemed like the one that was right. Or their, their recruiters used the best uh, witchcraft to trick me at the time. <laughs> uh, but one one big thing, which uh, like you know, one of the, the sales points, if if you will, that they'll try to use on you know these 16, 17 year old kids, because a lot of them have never left their hometown, will be you know, hey, you're going to get to travel and you'll be stationed somewhere else. So he went, hey, if if you go active, he's like, man, you could end up in Hawaii or Okinawa with the the Marines. And as soon as he said that, I was like, nah, fuck that. Uh, I think I'm good. I'm going to go talk to the National Guard. And I got up to and started to walk out. Uh, and he's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. We've, we've got this thing called uh, called the reserves. Are you interested? I'm like, do I get to stay in Texas? And he's like, yeah, until you decide to you transition to active duty or move to another unit. He's like, I guarantee you, you'll be, you know, your home base will be in Texas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after only being in the country for, Three weeks. I was like, "Yep, fucking sold. Definitely, uh, definitely going to go that route." All right. So you've joined up. You've done your training. Yep. Your reserves. Take us what happens next. Yep. So reserves. That's where those um, couple of semesters of, of college came in. But time, I was looking at uh, becoming a, a paramedic. So I was, uh, you know, I was chomping away at that for for a little bit. Uh, and uh, you know, once you enlist over here and it, it the uh, rate of the benefits varies depending on how long you've been in and who you've signed up for. But I, you know, I had government assistance. Uh, the, the VA was paying for my college uh, at the time. So, you know, it, it was going pretty good. I was doing, you know, the, uh, the one weekend uh, a month training, uh, the, the two uh, two weeks a year would have the, the annual training. Uh, so at that point, pretty much just being a, uh, essentially a college kid, you know, just, uh, working a little side job in, in, in retail, you know, enough to, you know, buy booze and smokes and have, have a little fun, but you know, not really any plan, you know, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, then randomly out of, out of the blue one day, when we're at annual training, we all get called in. Like each company, because uh, we're outfield at the time, uh, and they're just like, "Hey guys, make uh, 
make the phone calls. Everybody make sure that Will's in, in place. So like, uh, we're going to, we're going to Afghan. We leave for California in two months. Right. Uh, so yeah, we got, uh, we got activated to, to go over there. I guess we got activated in 2010. So yeah, I'd had about a year of, you know, doing the, the college kid shit and, you know, the reserves on, on the side. And then right in 2010, uh, is when they went, all right, Hey guys, shit's getting real. You know, play time's over. We're activating. Uh, this is your life now. So Cali is your, your pre-deployment training. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we went to camp Pendleton for that. And we've got a couple of different locations as 29 palms, which is in, uh, I think it's Nevada, um, camp Pendleton, which is you know one of the, the main Marine Corps bases over here. And then, uh, Camp Lejeune, which is kind of the other version of Pendleton, uh, but it's on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So us being uh, west of the Mississippi River uh, just dictated that we'd go to Camp Pendleton mm-hmm. uh, for our pre-deployment training. Was it 20? The other one was 29 Palms, did you say? Yeah. yeah. Fuck, that sounds like a bloody, where you going? I'm going to the 29 Palms. It's Ritzy. Oh, so so it sounds great, but it's kind of the it, the laughing stuff. It is the biggest shithole base that there is. <laughs> really, it's out in the desert. There's there's you'd be lucky if there's two or three palms there, let alone twenty nine. It is a complete fucking dump. <laughs> like everybody, everybody that gets stationed there is just like fuck my life. <laughs> what how, do you, how do I get out of this? What did you do for fun? If it's such a shithole, how did you entertain yourself? Oh, out there at twenty nine palms. Yeah. Uh, well, you drink a lot, <laughs> and then uh, I think you're underestimating how creative bored Marines can get. <laughs> uh, you know, find ways to entertain yourselves. Oh yeah, how much shit got yeah. blown up? <laughs> shit, shit gets fucking pretty, pretty squirrely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So, how'd you feel when they were like? All right, fucking, you going not. So it was, uh, at first I was like, ah, oh, nah, they're probably fucking with us. And, you know, they, uh, they're probably just looking for augments. Uh, yeah, and they'll take elements of, of the unit uh, and maybe attach them to, to other people. So I was like, eh, I was like, I'm not, not getting my hopes up too much just yet. But fuck, when they announced it, let's see, I'd... I'd just turned 19 yeah, and gone through all the, all this training. So at that point, especially at that point in my life, when like, Hey guys, we're going down range. It was just fuck. Yeah. Like, all right, look, let, let's go get some, let's put this training into use. This is going to be fucking awesome. And let's face it, man, you would have been the token Aussie guy. So you, you know, you would have made the Manning list pretty easy. They would have been like, Oh, Christine. Oh, he's Australian. Well, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that'd be like, oh, he can be cannon fodder if needed. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you're all you're all fucking g'd up. Uh, you all got battle fats going on. What happens next? So we do uh, fucking probably six, it's either six or seven months of pre-deployment training in in, in Cali, uh, which varied to its effectiveness. Yeah, I'm sure. Would like to be like, yeah, man, we're fucking getting at it every day and you know, running CQB drills and doing you know, immediate action nine lines. But Josh, you and I both know the military is not that effective, and <laughs> half the time you're just like, 
man, like how, how many, how, you know, how many times can I, can I go to the gym and, uh, you know, is it, is it bad if I start drinking like at, before morning PT? Can I break, uh, can I break eight cranks in one day? Can I go for nine? Yeah. 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 yeah, man. yeah. Where can I crank and get away with yeah. it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Especially when you're staying in squad bays because you're like, oh, oh man, as long as, as long as they're not awake on the top bunk, like it's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Did you ever go to, like, stop in TK at all? No, nah, no. Nah, we, uh, when we finally went over, we went down in, so I was out of Helmand pretty much the whole time. You did. Uh, so we went right into, uh, right into Dwyer, and then uh, we convoyed south of there. So you didn't uh, have a, you didn't have a, you didn't go to, like, uh, like a main base to get, any of your final kid or anything like that? Oh yeah, no. So, so, so what we ended up doing we went from uh, Cali over to Ireland, where they stopped at uh, I think Shannon Air Force Base uh, in Ireland. Stopped there for a couple of days. The one thing I remember from that was fucking hilarious. The guy, so they put us uh, two to a room, just staying in a regular hotel room for like the two nights that we were there. And uh, this kid, I can't remember his name, but complete fucking redneck uh great great dude ne- it, you know never been uh until we went to cal like until he got to the marine corps he'd never been out of louisiana <laughs> uh, so he has no idea that you know there's different uh electrical voltages uh in different parts of the country <laughs> so tra- tries to plug his uh u.s phone charger into the wall outlet and <laughs> in Ireland and just shocks the absolute shit out of himself <laughs> and, and, and has no idea why it happened. But he, he, he's just like re- receptacle goes in wall. He's like, why, why did it hurt me? <laughs> <laughs> that there wall hurt me on my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, a couple simple, of days there, boy. then we, uh, then we went to uh, Kazakhstan so we were there for this is where shit got a little fucked up on the way there. We'd been told, Hey, you'll have time to get your, your cold weather gear and your warming layers out once we get there, but there's not enough room on the jet itself. Like in your, in your carry on area to bring it. So they're like, Hey, don't be buddy fuckers. Just weigh regular camis on the jet. Once we get there, we'll pull the bags. It'll be cold for a little bit, but as soon as we pull the bags, you guys can get all your cold weather gear out fucking nut so we we land there it is minus 20 degrees fahrenheit uh and i'm pretty sure that's right around the same level where like celsius and fahrenheit match back up so fucking freezing so so we we get there and you know at, at the time uh you know i'm uh a boot so i'm pretty sure you guys use the same term over there in the aussie military josh like the, the newbies and the, uh, you know, especially before you get some experience under your belt are always considered boots. Mm-hmm. So basically all the boots, they go, all right, everybody unlock, uh, unload all these, these bags. Then we'll get you in, uh, you know, we'll get you in somewhere warm and uh, get you guys some, something warm to drink and some food. That took like four hours <laughs> to get these bags unloaded. At uh, which point I'm going like, man, I was like, this, this fucking sucks, man. I was like, we're not even Af- in Afghanistan. I was like, 
And I just spent four hours out in minus 20 degree weather, you know, unloading these bags, fucking feet were killing me. Every, like every step you took was like, you were getting stabbed in, in, in the feet. So everybody was really fucking miserable. We get, we get all the bags unloaded. They get put into this warehouse. They finally take us into uh, these giant, giant tents there, which probably have fuck a thousand bunks in them, just all, all, all in a row. They're starting to get food out. Uh, and they're like, hey, guys, you, you're going to be here for probably three, four days. You know, once, once weather's cleared up and once they're ready, you know, then uh, we'll load the bags and, and you guys will go downrange. Man, we're in there 20 fucking minutes. Uh-huh. And they come in, they go, there's clearing in the weather. Then pack your shit, you're going to Afghanistan right now. Uh-huh. At that point, like, I'm, I'm pretty strong, uh, you know, mentally uh, and emotionally. At that point, I was just like, no. Like, no, it's fucking cold out there. (laughs) Let's go my coffee. (laughs) There's marshmallows in it and everything. This shit's fucked. So we go pack the bags again. And at this point, still not getting any of our cold weather gear. And pretty much everybody's got the boo-boo lip and everybody's acting pissy. And just like, fuck, we shouldn't have even signed up for this stupid shit. Like, <laughs> God damn it. Just everybody's being fucking pissy. Uh, so, yeah, another couple of hours later after we get everything packed, uh, we are on the, uh, we transitioned you know, from a, uh, a civilian jet uh, or airliner over to, uh, to a C-130. And then, uh, fuck, I think from Kazakhstan, it's like a two, maybe three hour flight down to South Afghan uh, where we went at which, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, crammed in there like sardines, everybody getting fucking pissy when, you know, one guy next to you lets it rip <laughs> and nobody can fucking move. Uh, everybody, you know, looking for, for spit bottles and, uh, you know, just fucking around, you know, a couple of guys are reading books, a couple of guys, are, you know, playing the Game Boys or, or whatever. And then I don't know if you do the same thing. Uh, I, I presume you do, but right when you go in, so you fly real high, uh, before your your initial descent and kind of all the descent is cut into one, you know, to avoid or, or minimize the risk of, you know, getting taken out by a stinger or an RPG, but you just fucking drop from whatever the fl- the flying height is, you know, of a C-130 down to as low as they can go to safely transition and land on the runway. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, it ends up feeling like you're fucking dying because it just go, the, you know, plane's gone then it just feels like it stops so when that happens we've got about a hundred marines loaded up in this c-130 and everybody just starts fucking floating because <laughs> no, nobody's wearing their uh you know their seat belts because there's not enough seat belts for or even chairs but yeah all of a sudden you're nuts uh, you know up in your throat and <laughs> uh, then yeah uh, we touched down and we'd gone from it was negative 20 d- degrees to then Fucking, let's see, got there in February. Tra- the uh, temperature transition was still real hot. Well, it, it felt it, but, you know, they, they open the back and we all fucking run out and just see nothing but desert for as far around as you can see. Uh, and just felt boiling hot uh, at the time, mind you, just come from negative 20 degrees. Uh, and then the, then the smell hits you. Mm-hmm. Which Josh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure you know yeah. what I'm talking about. As yeah. soon as 
you're like, oh, I, I don't know how to explain that. I've never, never experienced. It's <laughs> it about the, like the smell of the city, nah. like that you, or is it just the general smell of the desert? <laughs> burning shit. Burning <laughs> shit. Oh, the smell of burning shit. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. The smell of burning shit, mate. It's fucking disgusting. So you've 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 got off the plane. It's fucking hot. It smells yeah. like shit. Tastes like shit. <laughs> it is shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did a, uh, you know, a, cu- a couple of uh, couple of admin days there, or maybe it, you know, been a week, but you know, all the typical briefings that you need to do. Uh, and we're at uh, Dwyer uh, at the time, which is one of the main US bases uh, in Helmand. Nowhere near as big as like Lebanon or Bastion, uh, yeah. but still, you know, fairly decent size. Uh, it would end up being the area during deployment where like, fuck, I really don't want to go there because, you know, all the Pogues fob and Fobbits uh, and officers are up there. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, they're, they're going to fucking yell at me because I look like a shitbag and my, my boots aren't, my, my pants aren't tucked in or bloused and mm-hmm. or my uniform's too dirty. So, yeah, that, that was definitely the, Area we tried to uh, avoid. Do you ever remember when you there. when you go in, like you you all smell like shit because showers are obviously fucking <laughs> at a minimum, uh, and you, you walk in and like you all sit down and then suddenly you can smell someone's perfume like a fucking uh, a pogue's fucking a chick's wearing perfume, but she's like a kilometer away. And you're like, oh, you become, oh, you become vultures. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you want to be like, that you guys. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're down down keen sense of smell, Josh? <laughs> Fucking hey, mate. Don't even go there. Hey, I've got a good sense of smell. <laughs> but yeah, all right, so... So you smashed out. You've done your yeah last little bits of of your admin. Yep, yep. And then you're off your uh, FOB. Yep, yep. So we we did the uh, you know a convoy out to our our, our fob, which was in uh, Marja, uh, is the name of the the city or the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're pretty much smack bang in uh, in the middle of Marja. And right as we got there, the rainy season had started to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was glad because whenever you go over, you, you kind of do two of the three seasons as snow, rain, and summer. And I, uh, I do not do well in the cold. So I was like, all right, thank fuck. I'm not, not having to be here where it, when it snows, mm-hmm. especially with how cold it gets in the desert. Mm-hmm. So yeah, punched out to our, uh, to our fob, which at the first time, you I mean, the first time going outside the wire, especially even while we're transporting, Everything's a fucking bomb to you. Everybody's a terrorist. You're like, oh, what about that guy? What about that guy? What the fuck is that? <laughs> What's that? Give it a month later, and you're just like, uh, that thing probably won't kill me. Fuck it, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> you get complacent, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, complacent, but then also you're just like, eh, whatever. You, you've got a better way of judging things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when uh, you. You'd see guys over there with AKs, and at first you're like, "Oh, that you know, that's fucking tea." You let let us smoke them. You're like, well, man, like every family's allowed an AK over here. <laughs> Just because they have a gun doesn't mean you could be like, "This isn't uh, this isn't Fallujah in 04 or, or Ramadi." Like, there's, there's a little more ROEs now, guys. Uh, 
Because you kind of become at least a little more comfortable and knowledgeable of uh, of the environment. Uh, so yeah, we we got there, uh, got to our base during the rainy season. Ended up uh, again. I drew the the short end of the of the stick. We'd uh, we'd just got there, dumped our shit, uh, and everything soaked. Working out where we're gonna be staying at. You know, we've all got these uh, these tents. So we did work out. We did have tents. We fit about 10 guys per tent. So, you know, obviously everybody put up their poncho liners and everything to you know, try to have a little privacy as, you know, as long as that would last. Uh, right when we get there, the, so the, the other unit that's there that we're uh, ripping out with, so rip is the transition period where the old guys, are, the old units training the new unit up, bring them up to speed. And then the old unit, after a few weeks of working with the new unit, will leave and, you know, they'll go home. Mm-hmm. That's rinse and repeat. The new unit becomes the old unit and, you know, just goes on. Uh, so we just got there and one of uh, the, the old unit, and I, like, I mean, just got there, like fucking dumped out gear, found my tent, found the hooch where I was going to go to. And right then one of the guys from uh, the old unit goes, hey, we need a machine gunner. Al's just fell and sprained his ankle. We've got a mission going out right now. Uh, so then they're just like, Heenan, you're a machine gunner, right? Like, yep. I'm like, cool, get in the fucking truck. Let's go. Fuck. But yeah, and I'm still in that mode of like, everybody here's gonna kill me. <laughs> Everything's a bomb. So get up in the truck, uh, and you know, 19-year-old kid fucking shaking at the bits and just like, oh fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Anyway, go out, um, and they're like, ah, well, guys, it, it'll only be like an hour or so. I'm like, you'll be good once we, you get back. You can get settled in. Went out for about an hour, uh, and then an hour turned into two, turned into three. Around three hours in, it started raining. I was up in the turret, uh, which did not have cover. <laughs> and uh, about eight hours later, we're pulling back into the base, and I look like a wet dog, uh, just fucking sopping wet, hungry, cold, pissed off. Uh, again, because we just got there. I hadn't been able to get any of my rain gear out. So I was just in my regular camis and flak and, and Kevlar. Get out, we do a quick debrief, get into, uh, go back to my hooch and all my stuff's still there, like not eat, not touched at all, just just on the rack. Everybody else is unpacked. And we're just like, so how is it, man? And we're like, this shit fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I just spent eight hours freezing my ass off. I probably have hypothermia now. So yeah, then uh, you know, as the weeks went on, you just you get more comfortable uh, in the area, doing you know the routine security missions and uh, all of that, getting you know lay of the land. Uh, so yeah, then it pretty much just uh, turned into your your standard uh, Marine Corps infantry uh, deployment. So do they give you uh, any training on how to identify anyone or do you just base, like, anyone that could potentially be the one trying to kill oh, you? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Could no, you, you tell you, the difference? You through, yeah, you go through training on that and then you have uh, you know, your, your ROEs uh, and the uh, – oh, fuck, I'm the brain fight here. What's the, the term? As you uh, go from non-lethal, less lethal up to a uh, lethal kill. force – Escalation uh, of force. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. Escalation of force. Yeah. So you go through that, and you kind of got your checklist. And all right, here's what I have to do. You know, before I'm given the green light to uh, either engage or or not engage. Uh, but yeah, there's fuck. 
90% of it is just death by PowerPoint in, uh, in a classroom setting when they're going through that, through that training, um, to which people are just falling asleep and, you know, doing the, the bobbing for cock thing, you know, as people are trying to stay awake. Uh, yeah, you, you, you do go through a lot of that training. Um, although how effective it is, I'd say is, uh, up to debate. It could be a lot more efficient. So that that like a list of rules that you're supposed to go through, like a checklist in your head while in real time trying to figure out if someone's a potential target. Yeah, yeah. So go through in your head and then then physically. Uh, so it could be anything from you know, uh, vocally challenge them. Um, and then depending where you're at, you might then employ like a pin flare uh, to then uh, you know doing a, a warning shot or possibly popping a, a smoke grenade uh, from like a two or three, uh, if you have one, but uh, with uh, like a training cheater round all the way up to then uh, engaging if everything, which, and it goes, it can go by very quick. Like it might be you know, a matter of seconds that you're trying to go through that, which obviously then can be uh, very emo- troubling or uh, emotionally stressful on guys because you're trying to make these decisions in, two or three seconds that are going to ultimately result in somehow likely somebody, whether it's on your side or the other side or a civilian uh, getting killed. Yeah. That old situational awareness. Yeah. Helps you get, you, you get taught combat indicators as well, don't you? So yeah. yeah. What's that? Uh, kind of, so things that you should look out for that, uh, you know, going to be an indicator that, that something's going to go down. Uh, like ones are if, if you're in a town and the civilian population all of a sudden starts clearing out, that, that's a pretty good indicator that, uh, that you're probably going to get in a, in a gunfight. If you see uh same vehicle, like uh, they, they used, we called them Hodgie Davidson's, but they're, they're little shitbox uh, motorbikes over there. Uh, if you see two guys on, on one of them kind of, circling the same area likely you know they're a scout and they're they're tapping stuff out you know, guys on cell phones on, on, on rooftops uh and then anything that could be kind of a marker you know a stack of rocks in a certain pattern on the side of the road could be a an aiming uh device for for an ied so they know when to hit the debt mm. uh to tie it so that when it hits when the vehicle's going over it there's a lot, lot to take in, and then, then you've got to know everything when shit breaks out. So you got to remember your your contact drills. You got to remember where everyone is, where everyone else might be moving to. You'd have to remember any retail procedures that you need to go through if you need to. What's a yep. what's a retail procedure? Oh, your comms, ah, your comms procedures. So there's yeah. like a performer for for your comms. You'd have the same, wouldn't you, Chrissy? All, all performer based. Yeah, yeah. Have you got tobacco in your mouth? Yeah, welcome to America. Yeah, like I thought you were sipping a bottle, but I'm like, you're actually spitting in it. Bit of Copenhagen, <laughs> fucking Texas to the core, mate. Chewing tobacco, bro. It, it is Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got to, I got to send you those shirts, and then I'll send you some cash, and we'll do a do, do, a, do a Copenhagen thing. You probably fuck yeah. You're actually probably too too big for the shirts now, bro. <laughs> 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 I, I bought him shirts years ago. And uh, I still haven't seen him. <laughs> Is that a bit like your lever action? Yeah. Bought it years ago, yeah. still haven't got it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, 
well, like this is all coming to a bit of a culminating fucking thing uh, yep. for your time over there. Uh, you happy to yeah. share with us? Yeah. So months go on. You know, there's some, some ups and downs. Uh, a lot of boredom, uh, as you know. Uh, and de- deployments, ninety percent boredom, five percent gone. What the fuck? And then you know, five percent of just crazy, massive adrenaline rushes and awesome, good fun. Uh, we're getting ready to to leave. Uh, so we'd uh, had the. So we actually weren't doing a rip on our base uh, on our fob. So this this was towards the end of uh, 2011. We our, our base was being broken down. The ANCOP, which is like the Afghan National Army, we're going to take over the base. So we essentially were like, all right, well, let's not leave them with everything good because they're probably going to just destroy this place anyway. Uh, let's take some of these these assets back to to Dwyer. The majority of the time I was over there as a mounted machine gunner, so I was up in the turret of uh, an MRAP uh, armored vehicles. And I'd gone through a few different positions, but for probably 80% of the deployment as a lead gunner. So I always ran the, uh, the lead truck. Uh, we're doing a routine mission, probably you know, gets delayed by a few hours. And then we're going down a route to, to Dwyer, going across Route Red, uh, which is just a big open desert. Get uh, a, a few hours in, you know, everything's fine. Uh, it's, in, it's typically a very quiet area of, uh, of the route. And you literally all you can see around you for miles and miles is just flat desert, nothing else. I'm up in the turret, smoking a cigarette, just like, all right, well, this is fucking boring as shit. Uh, next thing you know, fucking boom. Uh, at first, I think my, my driver's fucking with me and does just hit a pothole. Uh, then in my head, I'm like, that's a really fucking loud pothole. End up, uh, so obviously we'd, we'd struck in the, uh, an IED, uh, got rattled around uh, from that pretty good. Uh, ended up getting knocked out. Uh, actually headbutted the back of uh, my 50 cal uh, up in the turret. Knocked out from that. Uh, obviously, you know, took a took a fair bit of uh, of trauma. Long story short, it resulted in me then uh, being medevaced out of there. Uh, so once I did finally come to, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion, and everything, but uh, they start doing uh, medical treatment on me, calling the the Black Hawk. And then, uh, so by that time, we were meant to go home in about three weeks. Um, by that time, it was, uh, I went over to, well, all the different uh, battalion aid stations uh, in Afghan while, while they processed me, then uh, spent a while in, in Germany uh, while they're doing you know, uh, more uh, in-depth and invasive testing, you know, scanning every, everything, working out what the actual injuries are. Uh, and then after that was flown to San Antonio, Texas, where we have a uh, massive military hospital. Uh, resulted in fair, uh, probably two weeks, two and a half weeks, I think, uh, as an actual inpatient uh, in the hospital. All of this time, you know, they'd been keeping me plenty high on on morphine and, and ketamine, you know, real drugged up. Uh, and then that essentially started my uh, what ended up being 18 month transition uh through a medical ward out of the uh out of the military what uh what injuries did you sustain wow they're obviously quite severe yeah so big one was a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. uh, obviously head on the back of uh the back of the 50 cal now you know the nods mounts that you have right on the front of your helmet yeah 
so yeah, we had metal one, so I actually cracked that. Uh, wow. So luckily, you know, my helmet hit the 50 instead of my face. Uh, otherwise, I'd probably been you know, done on the spot. So got a, uh, got a TBI from that. Uh, my left hand was staying up on the gun uh, when we hit. And after, after I knocked myself out, I just dropped like sack of shit. Uh, my left arm stayed on the gun, though. Uh, so as I dropped all that, uh, my arm stayed up and I tore pretty much all the, the muscles and tendons, uh, in, in my left shoulder, then fell down onto the, the gunner stand, which is a little metal stand, uh, that the, the gun will stand on to get them a little higher in the vehicle so they can employ the turret properly. Uh, well, our plate carriers, um, you know, our vest that would hold our body armor, the, the lower part of it, uh, you know, around the small of your back is, is exposed. You know, it really just covers the, the vitals. Uh, well, right on there uh, is the contact point where my back hit the uh, the edge of the gun's turret. So you've got your SI joint, your sacroiliac, which is basically right above your butt crack. Uh, so I ended up crushing that. Took a lot of uh, soft tissue trauma, especially to my ribs and to my back. Uh, and then also rotated my pelvis uh, out of place. Wow. Yeah, all in a day's work, mate. Yeah, uh, yeah well, I'm an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking hell, mate. That is insane. This this left you with a, a question of walking again or? or... No, not, not really a, uh, a question of walking again, more a question of how, how efficiently I'd, I'd be able to do it all that again. I also had uh, quite serious trauma to uh, to my neck. Three of the vertebrae in my neck were actually blown out about ninety degrees. So, albeit you know, there's the extreme adrenaline rush when when that all happens, uh, and then a lot of this, you know, this blur while they have you, you know, on these heavy narcotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one as your body's coming down from the adrenaline, for you not to just you know collapse in in, in pain. Uh, but it also makes it real blurry, like it, it, in your mind, what's, go- what's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, during that 18 months, when I was back in San Antonio, is essentially when they do the evaluation of, are you fit for duty or are you unfit for duty? Can, can you go back and, and do your job with the correct amount of rehab uh, and recovery work? Uh, they basically gave me the, the option. They were, they were like, hey, here's the deal. They're like, uh, you're not going to be uh, infantry anymore they're like you know there's no way you can rock with 80 pounds of of equipment and you know especially when you look at then what you're liable for because hey if if i'm not up to the job then i'm just putting other people uh, at risk mm-hmm. uh you know I'm, I'm becoming a liability instead of an asset mm-hmm. uh so they essentially went here's the route we can take they can go you can choose a new mos uh but you're going to be non-deployable so you'll never deploy again uh, and so you, you're, you're going to be a pogue. You might do some non-combat rotations, but you're always you're essentially going to be working in an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I was like, well, the military pay is fucking shit. So if I'm going to be stuck in an office job, I might as well do it uh, for someone that I can uh, you know, make a little bit better coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, I was like, yeah, you know what, guys, uh, let's go through through the med board. Um, but I, I, I'm going to push for medical retirement because uh, I think my my time in the military is is over uh, at this point, uh, and it's not something that I want to continue to to do anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that, that was all on you know the, the first rotation. So our, our terminology over here is uh, we call it a, a one pump jump. You just do <laughs> one rotation and then get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, we use that term for something different. <laughs> <laughs> so so how long? What was the the duration that you were over there? Was this a relatively about about six months, six and a half months? Okay, so so you were still relatively new in terms of deployment time. Uh, you, uh, so we we were near the end of uh, of our deployment early on in the the GWAT, especially with the army. You'd have guys that would go over there for 15, 18 months at a time. Okay. Uh, once they started getting guys back, they saw how uh much, like how difficult that was on guys, especially the emotional trauma. You know, huge rise in rise in PTSD. Uh, from guys you know, living over there for a year, year and a half, uh, especially in the more kinetic locations. So by the time I'd gone over, they'd changed uh, the rotations up to, if you were combat arms in the Marine Corps, you'd do a seven-month tour. And if you were non-combat arms, like if you're a Pogue or a Farbit, then you'd do 12 months. Yeah. So that's crazy. So, you, I mean, you're obviously relatively mobile now. Yep. So how how long did it take you to get, um, excuse the pun, back on your feet from all that injury. And then where did you go for, Go to from there once you had been discharged? So it took probably a good six months of doing rehab, uh, you know, physical therapy four to five times a week uh, you know, to get my equilibrium back, get my balance back. Within about between that six and 12-month uh, period is when I was pretty well stable. You know, I was, I was able to drive, uh, again, I was able to move around relatively well. And then it was a ongoing, you know, I'd ha- I had to keep up with, uh, with the physical therapy. So the last six months, uh, or so, uh, the 18 months that, that I was at, uh, the hospital, I was, uh, you know, pretty good. Uh, I was like, yep, you know, I can take care of myself. I don't need a caretaker or anything like, like that. I just have to be you know, aware of, uh, you know, different issues that, that, you know, uh, could you know, a- affect me and, you know, make sure I just, if I feel one of those issues coming on, uh, take the steps, to, you know, to, to avoid that. So yeah, ended up, uh, got medically, uh, retired and went to, uh, move back up to central Texas for about 10 months. Uh, and that was kind of the, well, shit, what am I going to do now? Took, took a few months just to myself going like, all right, well, Hey, I, I want to just enjoy being a civilian for a bit. And then I tried to find you know, a, a employment and work out you know, what I want to do. Problem was didn't have a college education uh, at that point. Um, and really my, my only experience was in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, nobody wants to, as much as they say, you know, we love our veterans and, and we want to help them out. Reality of it is a lot of places don't want to hire a disabled or an injured veteran that they could have a college kid uh, do that same work for cheaper mm. and probably more efficiently because they're not dealing with all these physical injuries. Mm. Ended up uh, finally got a break through a gentleman I met, an old Vietnam vet uh, who's become kind of a, a mentor to me uh, that ran a gas treating company. Uh, he offered me a job out in West Texas. So I did that for a couple of years. At that point, I decided it wasn't for me. You know, the, the, the pay was good. The work was decent, but it was very physically demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't really matter what I was getting paid. It was just like, 
it felt like I was recovering from an autopsy every time I wake up. I was just like, fuck this, this isn't worth it. Like my quality of life is fucking shit. So then, uh, through, through that, that Vietnam vet happened to find a, a contact, uh, out in the Dallas area that was in firearms manufacturing. So, uh, I, uh, I just called him up one day and, uh, just like, Hey John, my name's Chris. You don't know me, uh, but, uh, I want a job. And, uh, he's just like, Oh, well, that, that's ambitious. Uh, he's like, but I like it. Why, why don't you come on out? See if we, uh, see if we get along. Yeah, nice. And uh, we'll see where we can take it from there. So did that, met with him. We got along fucking great. And he, at the time, you know, I was still in West Texas. At the time he goes, hey, I don't know exactly what you'll be doing, but if you move out here, if if you get out here, he's like, I'll have a job for you. So uh, cool. Go back to West Texas, work out my transition, find a uh, find an apartment uh, out in, in Dallas, rent it sight unseen. Uh, I, I give this guy, John, uh, a, a call and I go, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll be out there December 1st. Uh, like I'll be in my apartment. He's like, cool. I'll see you December 2nd in the shop. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah, I, uh, I apprenticed as a gunsmith for him, did, did that for, for a few years. Uh, so our, our primary focus was precision bolt guns. We then, because everybody was doing it, we got into the, the AR realm. So we, we built a bunch of AR rifles, again, being focused on you know, uh, very precise uh, firearms. And then uh, also got into uh, pistol modification. So we didn't build any of our pistols from the ground up. Uh, it was more doing uh, enhance, enhancements and reliability uh, work to them. Like you see you know, a lot of p- people cutting their pistols for red dots these days and uh, adjusting the springs, you know, for competition guns, you know, to just make them perform better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, our, our main focus was uh, doing precision bolt action rifles. So did that get you involved more in shooting um, as a hobby as well, because you started working there as an apprentice? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it first started off with, uh, and once I'd been doing it, everybody's just like, Oh man, you want to shoot all the fucking time. Like, you work in a gun shop and I was like, nah, not, not as often as I'd like, like, you know, we'd go every other weekend or so, but it was, you know, for every one hour of shooting, there was nine hours in the shop, you know, where that's behind the lathe, behind the mill, you know, doing the, uh, the trades and work of, uh, of building a firearm. Mm-hmm. I got um, to say, man, I used to get jealous cause you'd send me a photo of you like cruising the range with like a fucking minigun. I'd be like, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we did, um, we did have uh, one of the, the companies that we worked for. You've got different levels of FFL, federal firearms license over here. And the, the one that we had was allowed us to manufacture uh, up to, I think it was FFL 07. So we can manufacture NFA items, which is National Firearms Act. That's a, uh, you show up our rifles, show up our shotguns, suppressors, and full automatics. Mm-hmm. So at the peak of it, we had about 78 to 80 full auto firearms, uh, including a Dillon uh, M134 minigun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part part of what we would we would do is we'd put on these uh charity shoot, these veteran charity shoots where we'd bring out veterans, uh, you know, a lot of the times. The last time they shot a full auto was while they were deployed. 
So we'd, you know, we'd have these investors that would come in. They would, do, you know, they would donate their time and money to run the, the, the firearms. And then it would be, you know, we'd just bring out the veterans and let them run all this weaponry and firearms that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get their hands on. That is, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. That would be so much fun. Sounds like we're all moving to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Fucking love for, Texas. Except for Caleb. Caleb actually doesn't like semi-automatics or autos. Oh. Uh, he's a strange <laughs> cat. Strange. You say one thing once, my God. Strange cat. And you just harp on about it all the fucking time. At this stage, that's sound a lot. You've jam-packed fucking a lifetime into, you know, a few years already. Yep. Um, dude, that's... That's nuts, and there's there's more to come. So how, yeah, how yes. long were you there for? How long were you working on the guns and doing the shooting and, and doing that sort of thing? You said a couple of years. So I, 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 I did that for about two years until the the company uh, went under. Part of it was uh, you know the the transition of when when Trump came into office, the height of gun sales declined a bit uh, at the point essentially because nobody was afraid that the guns were going to get taken away anymore. Uh, and then the uh, all the people that were buying guns, and at that point weren't buying the level of guns that we were building. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were the ones that go, "Hey, I'll buy a six hundred dollar Glock, or maybe spend a thousand bucks on an AR." Our bolt gun started about sixty five hundred bucks or seven grand. We were building you know, extremely high end firearms, and there just wasn't the market uh, for it at that point. Uh, especially with being a small time shop, you know, we, we couldn't compete with the companies that could throw a few million dollars into production and manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, and being able to you know, build these farms mostly by machine uh, as opposed to how we were doing it uh, by hand with you know, a lot of hand fitting. Mm-hmm. So when that company went under, I still stayed in the same, the same circle. Uh, luckily one of the guys that had done a lot of firearms training with, because uh, that's another thing that we did while we were running the, the gun shop is we offered uh, firearms training to not only our clients, but uh, also put on you know, tactical courses and working with like uh, being able to provide that to regular civilians and citizens uh, so they would uh, you know, be able to safely enjoy the, the sport of shooting. So when the, the company went under, a, uh, a friend of mine that I'd worked with in training offered me a job doing uh, private security for him. So I got into uh, executive protection, so kind of armed, uh, concealed carry, suit and tie. It was a great learning experience. I did that for another couple of years, uh, mostly in the U.S. Uh, did go to Mexico a couple of times with that. One of the, It's one of those jobs, it sounds really cool. It's incredibly boring. It's kind of like being an armed chauffeur, and you're – you cannot get complacent on that job, regardless of how boring it gets. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a, a very good uh, opportunity at the time, and made for an easy transition. Going, well, fuck, uh, gun shops shutting down, going to be out of a job. Next day, it's going. Like, oh no, I'm not. Already got something else lined up. Yeah, nice. So, did you have so, any sort of incidents while you were in that role within protective security? Yeah, a, a lot of it was uh, mostly dealing, you know, with with drunks that were getting out of hand, but we did, we did have one principal that had been uh, receiving uh, le- what we believe to be legitimate death threats. And we had local law enforcement working with us as well. So we were doing 24 uh, seven armed security 
for this person. Uh, nothing that got to the the level of you know, engaging somebody, uh, but th- there were some very suspicious, high intensity situations that that did come from that. Uh, especially when you think of this happening in a major city in the U.S. as opposed to something that happens when you're downrange in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Jeez, you've you've led quite the life. So where where are you up to now? What are you doing with yourself? Yeah, so, so uh, I tra- felt like I got everything out of uh, the private security uh, work that, that I could have yep. uh, and then had an opportunity that, that came about uh, to get into um, the defense industry again. So I'm, I'm now, uh, and defense industry over here is basically all the companies that supply the defense uh, or DOD and law enforcement with, uh, with product. So I got the opportunity to work for a company that does uh, hearing protection and tactical communications equipment. So I've been doing that for the past couple of years, uh, and that is supplying federal, state, and local law enforcement, along with uh, military, not only in America, but uh, across the whole world, uh, other than China and Russia. Yeah. Hearing protection and communication equipment. Yeah, nice. So do you get... Like exposure to the latest in technology for those items. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're definitely we we are the leader uh, when it comes to our wheelhouse of, of products, being that that communication equipment. Uh, and then you know we have obviously a lot of really interesting technology uh, in development. So not only are we creating the latest and greatest products for today, but also looking at future capabilities uh, and technologies. Are you allowed ah, to tell so, us about so that? DARPA. Yeah, you're, you're essentially working for DARPA. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. So basically up until the GWAT, DARPA was kind of a leader in uh, in these technologies. And as GWAT came about, you sort of saw the, the private side take lead and start offering better technologies and products. As, as what uh, came about? What was that word that you used? DARPA. Uh, the word, the so other one, D, DWAT. Defense something research program. Um, basically, it, it's this uh, part of the government that looks at uh, upcom- all kinds of upcoming technology mm-hmm. uh, for the defense of the nation. So it could be new weapon systems. It, it could be cyber security. You know, just basically them looking at, hey, what can we get at? Like, what's possible now? And what can we have in the next 10 years? And what can we have in the next 20 years? And the, and the other organization, what was that? G G what or? Well, so no, so G what's just the basically the term for veterans of of, of my age. So global war on terror. Uh-huh. It's all the guys that have served from uh, uh, two thousand one okay. uh, up until the conclusion of Afghanistan. So you're saying that uh, now that you guys have all come back, you you sort of since that era, uh, available technologies to the general public has sort of become on par with DARPA. Is that what you're saying? No, no, not not to the general public, but you have a lot of these these private um, companies or these public companies okay. that are not part of the government uh, that have been more they've had a lot more initiative in future capabilities. Yep. Yeah, so okay. it, it, instead of you know back in the eighties and nineties, it was DARPA would have the greatest technology ever possible, and no other company could get near it. Well, now it's kind of done a flip where DARPA is sort of still living uh, in the early 2000s uh, and the these private companies uh, yeah, are, are moving forward and uh, coming out with these capabilities 
that to some people just unheard of. So uh, can you tell us some of the new cool shit that we can expect to never get our hands on because we're plebs? So, so I, I do need to be careful on on this point because uh, obviously there's a lot of NDAs in place. Mm-hmm. But the the big thing in communications is um, going wireless and being able to get rid of or overcome currently the fences that are out there. So obviously when you go wireless, there's the risk of uh, people being able to jam your signal so it, it can't get out and then also them being able to listen in uh on what you're saying because you're emitting a, a wireless uh signal out there so that that's kind of the, the big next step forward i'm working out how to do that in the safest possible way as far as like specific products uh that's not something that that i can touch on Excellent. but once we do go public with it i'll uh i'll be sure to send you guys the uh the news on that Sounds awesome. Send us a sample. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's awesome, man. And, and look, honestly, your your progression of what you've done since the military is quite outstanding. And I think a lot of that, by the sounds of it, stand your can-do attitude. And certainly with your initial uh, with the gunsmithing job, um, that's yeah, that's outstanding. So, but that's not always the case for for people who've left the military, is it? Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, it's not. I got I got very fortunate, you know, that I was given the opportunities uh, that I had. And wh- one kind of thing that uh, that had stuck with me was, you know, a, a good friend of mine had told me, he's like, "Hey, man, he's like, you can uh, you can complain and whine and and have the boo boo lip because some unfortunate shit happened." You know, you see with uh, so many so many veterans. You know whether they're, they're injured, uh, whether it's in combat or or a, a training uh, exercise. But at the end of the day, you can't let that one instance or several instances like that uh, affect the rest of your life. Uh, so basically, yes, yeah, it sucks occasionally, but don't live with a boo boo lip. You know, yes, people act sympathetic, but also you know that they're, they're not in, other people aren't in charge of. Uh, of your quality of life uh, and, and happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing that's really stuck with me, uh, you know, obviously with, uh, with the military, especially guys in combat arms, uh, you're going to get in kinetic situations. You're going to lose friends uh, along the way. And then as you transition, you, you're also going to realize that uh, you know, veterans are going to kill themselves that you know, everybody has their own demons but you owe it to the fallen to to live a good life. Mm. So like my, my buddies that you know I'd lost over there, they would whoop the shit out of me if they saw me being a failure as a person now. Like they they would want me to be living my life to the fullest and taking uh, advantage and benefit of of everything that I can. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a good outlook. That man. is an outstanding outlook, man. It can be tough to to get to that point uh, and and look at the the world like that, man. But when you're there, it certainly certainly holds a broader future for people. Yep. Yeah, well. Well, I think people are going to get a, a lot out of your story, Chris. So thank you for sharing everything you have. And, um, yeah, look, honestly, it's the best answer to question one I think we've ever had. But um, I think what we're going to have to do is is 
speed through these other questions. And honestly, if you look at this sheet, it actually does say speed round. <laughs> it's never <laughs> yeah, been a, it's never been a speed round, mate. But um, yeah, uh, look, it's, it's extremely early over there, and it's very late over here. So we'll be wise with our time. How about we do some speed round for uh, the rest of our questions? Let's go for it. Sick. All right, number two. What's your favorite food? Favorite food. All right. So generic would be wild game meat, but if we're having to go specific, uh, venison with um, jalapeno, jalapeno cheese, summer sausage. Wow. Uh, it's a very it's a very common meat that you'll have processed uh, when you harvest a deer over here. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going for exact deer, uh, axis is freaking incredible. Did you it think all- about that answer, or is that just off the top of your head? Because that's going to be the quickest fucking answer we've ever had. To oh, I, uh, I, I, I put down some bullet points for, for these answers. Oh, you did some research with one, and then just be like, "Oh, fuck." Yeah. And then, <laughs> and, and then, then later today, you know, I, I didn't want it to be, you know, as I'm going on with my day, being like, "Oh, fuck, I should have said this." That was a great answer, <laughs> <laughs> mate. That's outstanding. Fucking man. well Brett, done Brett, on the man. organization front. Uh, well, you know what question three is, and your first job. Did you end up at Red uh, Reader like Josh did? Oh, so reason. my first job, uh, we were living in Prospect at the time. And God, I forget the road, but there's Hungry Jacks uh, up there that was halfway between where we were living and uh, and the school that I was going to. So, yeah, I, I flipped burgers for a couple of years. Right. That's where all good soldiers start. Bloody <laughs> 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 hell. All right. Uh, number four, if you could trade places with anyone in the world, who would that be? Mm. That's, I've got two. Uh, first easy one would be uh, Putin and I'd jump off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's outstanding. <laughs> uh, the other one, but the premise on this is it's only for a limited amount of time and then I'd get to transition back. Yep. I think it'd be incredible to get in the mind of Elon Musk and just see see how he works. Yeah. But ultimately, I'd just be shit talking as much as I can <laughs> and, and creating this facade. So I'd put like on Twitter, be like, how does it feel to know I'm the richest African American in the world? <laughs> and then <laughs> and, 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 and then then I'd transition back to myself and just sit back with a couple of drinks and chaos. Watch the fallout. <laughs> Fuck, that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Before oh, you before you go on, I've got to ask go. a question. What what's yeah? What's the general take with the whole fucking Russian shit like over there? Uh, he, I think we've we've definitely realised that Russia isn't the superpower they thought uh, they were, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, everybody over here, at least from what I've seen, is definitely pro Ukraine. Uh, you know, we've we've sent uh, quite a lot of money and assets over there. And actually leading up to this, there have been a lot of mili- U.S. military assets training Ukrainians in, in the area for, you know, well, really for years and years. Uh, we, we've had that going on. But, yeah, I think we're seeing that uh, the the age of tanks in battle is uh, is kind of past us because uh, you have a Ukrainian farmer with an RPG that's taking out a $20 million tank. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, they've definitely uh, over overstepped, and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, it ends soon. Because yeah, there's uh, there's definitely everybody's on the fuck Putin bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone, 
But look, we don't get to obviously Putin's shut down the media inside Russia the best he can. So we're we're only getting Ukrainian news on like Al Jazeera and things like that, or, or the what's happening from the Ukrainian side, not not what's happening from the Russian side. So there's a lot of speculation in what's going on uh, here in here in Australia anyway. Yeah, and for a while. Like, obviously, world news, China was sitting there talking about Taiwan for a long, long time. Russia's happened. Everyone knows that sort of Russia and China are sort of in cahoots. Not really, but, you know, it could be possible. And so at some stage, a lot of people were thinking maybe China would use this as a bit of smoke and mirror to just move into Taiwan and, and take it. That's not happened, obviously. But um, we... Ultimately, we don't know what's going on down here. I mean, our yeah, media yeah. controls fucking heaps. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's the problem. You know, you, the the media portrays everything how they want, mm. uh, and you're also seeing, which really we haven't seen it since you know the days of the last what I'll call actual legitimate war. Uh, not saying that GWAT wasn't uh, legitimate, but the like Vietnam, Korea, World War Two you're getting a lot of propaganda on both sides. So you don't know what to believe, mm. uh, especially with how easy it is to uh, spread a message, you know, with, with the internet and social media mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a, a media based world, uh, which is very unfortunate. And at the end of the day, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. uh, on what's actually happening. Um, but then realistically, we probably won't ever know the 100% truth of, of the situation. Mm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. This brings me to another quick question. What was your and the general consensus, I guess, of, of Texas at least on Trump? Was he a good from, – from all accounts here, he actually looked like an outstanding president. Uh, was he as liked as, as what they say? I mean – In Josh's mind anyway. That's- so it depends. You've got, uh, there was a lot of extremes. The people that liked him to the extreme, people that hated him to the extreme. Mm-hmm. What I put it like, like this, uh, he, he did very, very well for the economy. Our economy was doing great. Uh, unfortunately, these days, the economy is not doing uh, as great. That's not to say Trump was awesome. He uh, yeah, obviously uh, said a bunch of stupid shit. Uh, but he did run it like a businessman instead of a career politician, mm. uh, which I think was, was, was a welcome change. But then at the same time, I think all po- politicians are cunts. Yeah. doesn't matter what side they're on. Mm-hmm. They, uh, it, it, you're never going to agree with, uh, with all of them. And they're either all extreme left or all extreme right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the ultimate best way would be meeting somewhere in the middle, but everybody gets too pissy and emotional to settle for anything the other side mm-hmm. uh, wants to bring up. So instead of having realistic uh, and well thought out uh, ideas, it turns into a, a pissing contest of an extreme left idea versus an extreme right idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Next question. And uh, in this crazy journey of life of yours, have you got children? No, no, I, I do not. Uh, so my, my wife and I had, uh, had discussed that. Uh, we've been together for a little over, over five years now. And uh, we realized, yeah, it's just, it's not for us. We've seen so many people with kids just being absolutely miserable, having to work several jobs. 
you know, and not really getting to to enjoy life. And you know, the, the last thing that we want to do during the the prime years of our lives is be tied uh, tied down with you know some little uh, ankle biter for eighteen years when you know now as well finally in professional careers and having the money to travel and you know see the rest of the world. We don't want to put that on hold for you know the best part of two decades. Yep. Oh, fair call. Fair yeah, call for yourself, man. That's exactly right. Yep. The world's in need of a good column anyway, so don't even start Ryan yeah. on that rabbit hole. I was gonna oh, say I know a guy you might get along with. We'll have another hour argument. So and your your <laughs> missus has a pretty interesting career as well, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she does. So I met her when I was in the firearms manufacturing field. She had just returned from uh, from Africa. So she lived over there for, for a couple of years and she became a licensed professional hunter and then did a bunch of uh, anti-poaching work over there. That's so cool. she was real big into uh, conservation and then she's a, uh, a competitive shooter over here. So she does a lot of the three-gun uh, competitions. So that's kind of where we really connect and bonded. Uh, I remember initially meeting her and was talking about rifles and she understood what twist rates were in, in barrels. Mm-hmm. As soon as she said that, my mind was like, get fucked. I was like, how do you know this? <laughs> Perfect, man. What was Africa get like for, for us? Give us a quick, quick touch on that. Like, did she get to hunt any any of the big five or anything while she was there? So not, not, not the big five. Uh, she did guide a bunch of hunts uh, for, for the big five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Plains game, I mean, there, fuck, she's probably, I, I might be a little off on the numbers, but probably shot a bit or harvested a good 30 different Plains game animals mm-hmm. while she was over there. So she was in uh, South Africa, Namibia, Mozambique, and uh, I think there was another one in there. Yeah, nice. Bloody you. Want us to get her on the show, yeah. mate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm think I'm feeling like I've had a very boring life at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, what's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Fucking spotlighting with Peter driving. <laughs> oh, Porter! <laughs> oh, Porter! Josh's old man. Did you get run yeah, over? I, Did you I, get run over I as think, well? I think after that, it'd probably be the pump to Afghan. But yeah. Peter takes uh, takes the cake on that one. <laughs> he did. You did get run over by Peter. Oh, didn't you? It's, yes. a, it's a rite of passage. Mm, it is. <laughs> I feel yeah. left out. Yeah, it's happening. It'll happen. Just give it to him. Yeah, when uh, you least expect it. When least it, expect it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bam. <laughs> All right, keep it rolling. Best piece of advice you've ever been given. This one actually came uh, came from my wife, but uh, treat the janitor the same as you'd treat the CEO. That, that's a good one. I've heard that one, and I like it. It's very yeah. good way to live your life. Treat yeah, yeah. You respect. never know who you're talking to or what uh, what lesson you get from somebody. So regardless of what somebody's been through in life, you can probably learn something from everybody you talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's got a story. And honestly, like I, I cannot stand people who base – who they talk to and who they don't talk to on social status or what someone's job is. Like you've said it perfectly there, man. You've got something to learn from everyone. That's yeah. That's a good bit of advice, man. Yeah. One to write down. Now, Chris, what is your most treasured possession? So 
we obviously can't do you know, family or anything like that, right? right? So you're looking for something physical. Yeah. yeah. So there's two rifles that I have. Josh knows these pretty well. Caleb, you actually may have shot them as well. But I have an old Bruno before CZ bought them out. Bruno Mod 2 from fuckers building like the early 50s. Uh, Josh, I just remember, fuck, I was probably 13. And we were at your original house with that rinky dink uh, rifle range. Yeah. In, yeah. in the backyard, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, you you cited that in uh, in with me. I, fuck, I probably got, and that that belonged to my pop, uh, and I probably got fuck, ten, twelve thousand rounds <laughs> throughout now. Wow. Uh, that and then I have a uh, belonged to my mom a Seiko Forester that was rebarreled in two five seven Roberts Improved. Uh, that when we were out spotlighting, I took my first roo with that rifle. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, wow. Bloody hell, you still have them, man. Yep. Fuck. Nostalgic. Yep, they're sitting, uh, they're sitting about 10 yards away from me in the gun safe right now. <laughs> There's, um, that, that brings back some memories, actually, because you loaned me uh, an old, I think it was a Sportco Martini uh, in 22 Hornet once. 22 Hornet? 22, yep. maybe. 22 yeah. Hornet. Uh, yeah, it was 22 Hornet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That brings back some memories, man. I used to shoot that thing at that. That little dinky range that we had, and when yeah, we I were kids, I didn't think it had sights on it at the time. But it didn't. It was still, re- yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't, but it still shot like you still hit a can at fifty meters with it, just uh, looking down the the, the barrel. But um, well, it didn't have iron sights either. The front front uh, uh, post was knocked off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're just shooting a tube. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was all the front or the rear, rear sights, one of the two. But yeah. Bloody hell, man! I, I, Chris and I went uh, uh, shot a few times against each other when we were in cadets, actually, and uh, you you were biting at my ankles. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember. Uh, yeah, we had that uh, a couple of years that little competition with the twenty two rifles. Yep, yep. And fuck, it was something like what was like twenty meters or twenty five yards, and it was just based off grouping as yep. opposed to an actual score. Yeah, I think it it was. It was one or two shots yeah. that separated us, and it's like you'd have the lead, then I'd take it, then you'd take it, yeah. and we like it was a single group difference <laughs> b- between us. Yep, yeah, definitely, man. It was uh, it, that that really taught me how to shoot, actually, because you were you were the only person that could shoot as well. <laughs> so you 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 and I were pretty much the only competition. <laughs> oh yeah. But we were so competitive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody else's targets looked like they got hit with a scatter gun and then <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I actually remember cuz uh your old man was um scoring those targets. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, I remember walking up with with my target and it's just a, a tight ragged hole. Peter's like where are the rest of them? Like, all right, yeah, they're all fucking in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there could have been some fucking uh, 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 sway to one side there. Who knows? We'll have to ask Pointer one day. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I love it. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprised if you were just a shit shot, Josh. And the only reason you kept getting out was your old man was helping you out. All right, let's go to the range, champ. Yeah, right now. Go on. <laughs> teacher's pet, teacher's pet. All right. <laughs> Chris, recommend a movie to us, mate. All right, so keeping on the, the topic of hunting and com- uh, conservation, 
there's a, a, a TV show, they did two seasons. Uh, it's called Ivan Carter's War. So I'm watching it on Amazon Prime with the, with the Outdoor Channel. But it's this bloke that he grew up in Rhodesia, was a professional hunter, and now does uh, conservation work. My wife actually worked with him a bit when, uh, when she was over there in, in Africa. It's a little bit dramatized for, you know, it's got a little bit of the B-roll for reality TV. Uh, but it looks into the how how badly poaching is affecting you know, the wildlife uh, over in in that continent mm-hmm. and what they're doing uh, you know to prevent that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's pretty funny, man. Because I was just talking about this with someone the other day. Some parts of Africa where they've controlled hunting and 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 poaching, there the elephants are, are in lot. Plague numbers, and they're actually starting to d- destroy crops and and this and that, and they're starting to have to do do culls on them. Um, yet in other parts of Africa where hunting wasn't restricted and and there had been a lot of poaching, uh, there's none, no elephants. Uh, yeah, mm, yeah, pretty crazy. It's all over the shop, but uh, yeah, good recommendation, man. I like that one. What was the, what was the name of that again for for people out there? Uh, I, so Ivan Carter's War. I've I've war. War. Right. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll send it to you guys uh, right now on uh, on IG so you have it. Sweet. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. All right, question 10. What was your first rifle? <laughs> so my first rifle uh, was a Sportco Martini in 22 long rifle. Don't know if you guys remember this, but Sportco was a gun company out of Adelaide. Uh, so it, it, it was different from the, the 22 Hornet that, that I lent Josh that we talked about a little earlier. Yep. S- same kind of premise though, a uh, little single shot Martini 22 that I got on my sixth birthday. And wow. I haven't shot the thing in probably well over a decade. Uh, but I remember as a kid just grabbing a brick of 22 ammo. Uh, and I could barely hold the rifle up when I first got it. So <laughs> set up a little stool um, to rest the rifle on. And would just go through a brick of ammo in an afternoon. Just be like, oh, fuck, I wonder if I can hit that rock over there. Or now I'll see how many times I can hit this tin can, see how far I can knock it down. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, a lot of childhood memories with, uh, with that rifle. Yeah, Six man. years I'll, old. I've got to ask, what's your favorite non-nostalgic weapon? All right, so I'm trying to lean at, <laughs> like, clearly you've got a few nice platforms that you, you, you're running. What's... Uh, yep. Let's see if I, I mean. Do, all right, to elaborate as well, you still got your uh, blazer. I do. Yep. You do. Yeah. And what's your favorite AR platform? That's what I'm kind of get at. <laughs> uh, so, so on ARs, I, so we've got oh between the wife and I, four or five of them now. I do have a, a Mark 18, so Daniel Defense 10.3 inch uh, barrel, which is. Uh, it's a fun little gun, but I, yeah, I like running the, the short guns, but unless you're running them suppressed, they're, they're loud. Suppressors make the guns dirty you know, uh, a lot quicker. Uh, so favorite AR would be, uh, it's a 14.7 inch barreled uh, DMR that I put together uh, when I was doing gunsmithing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a Night Force two and a half to 10 uh, on it with a offset red dot. Uh, running a uh, Atlas bipod on it, uh, went through. I've, I've redone the the whole action, uh, and that 
it's gone through a few different iterations. Uh, that is the most accurate AR that I've uh, ever had. I have made hits out to running um, 77 grain Black Hills match ammo with all the wind conditions right. I've uh, had hits on uh, E-type targets at 1,100 yards. Yeah, very nice. That. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That, that thing is just – it. It's more accurate than it should be, and I can never like I have no idea how a fourteen point seven inch barrel can be that accurate. But you know, occasionally, when all the wind conditions are right, and you're like, all right, well, I've dialed up as much as I can, and uh, now I'm going to Kentucky windage and aim at this tree. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, ended up uh, yeah getting consistent hits. Now, eleven hundred was on you. Know, I've only done that once. Uh, outside of that, it's a uh, six to eight hundred yard gun all day with the right ammo. Yeah, nice. You running a, a one to seven or one to eight inch for that seventy seven grain? Uh, that is a one and eight. One and eight, yeah, 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 yeah. Very nice. I'm just doing a AI build a two to three Ackley. I'm going to run a seven, I think. Try and get some eighty eights or, or something uh, out of it. Yeah, yeah. See how that goes. Yeah, and the, yeah. And this one's a two two three wild, mm-hmm. so uh, it does a little better with uh, with those precision rounds. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I ended up putting a muzzle brake on that one. I uh, redid the the buffer spring weight, went through a bunch of iterations, uh, you know, di- dialing the system in, and it, it's just a real fun gun. Uh, there's essentially zero recoil, so you can really push uh, that light projectile out to some extreme distance and get immediate feedback because it is one of the guns that truly you never lose sight picture mm-hmm. uh, on when you take a shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very nice. Shit, yeah. You can see what you hit. But yeah, yeah, that that would be f- favorite AR for for pistols. Uh, yeah, I've got everything from some concealed carry pistols, like Sig three sixty five, and an off size nineteen eleven, uh, and then some competition pistols that I've dialed in. And then uh, for shotties, I have a uh, Benelli M two tack shotgun with an eighteen and a half inch barrel that I. Uh, I had a buddy that was doing gunsmithing when I was in the, the oil industry. Uh, and that's probably what we, we built that gun up to together. And that's kind of what really got me stuck into the, Oh shit, this is real interesting. I could do this, this gunsmithing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it completely built out uh, Benelli that I uh, don't even want to think about how much money I have <laughs> uh, invested in that thing. But yeah, yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> it is a very nice platform. Actually, it would be nice to own one. But you're very lucky. Once again, that's another photo I received regularly <laughs> once upon a dawn. Yeah, I actually think uh, if you see it, it is, uh, it's actually one of my home defense guns. You can <laughs> see it right up there on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think pretty much everyone over here in Australia is just like, holy shit, you can have some pretty nice guns <laughs> compared yeah, to us. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can if, uh, if you have the wallet for it. Um, and you know, there's certainly limitations. Um uh, you, know, you the, the regular person cannot own a, a, a full auto uh, if it was made after 1986. Mm-hmm. So obviously any full auto that's made before then, they can't make any more. So those are a commodity uh, and more of a investment for a lot of people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you can still find some MP5s out there that are pre-86, but you're paying for about 45, 50 grand for one. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, other than that, you know, we do have access, you know, with, with the right paperwork to suppressors and short barrel rifles and shotguns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is something that we'd have to, we might have to get onto on another podcast, but 
that is the US gun laws. Uh, people think that, you know, there's no checks, no this and that. Uh, uh, there's still checks, isn't there? You still got to. Oh, yeah. 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 There's, and yeah, we'll probably need to talk about this one on uh, another time because it, you know, we could definitely go down a, down the rabbit hole uh, on it. But yeah, no, there's a, a, absolutely a you know, bunch of different checks. It's not saying there's not ways around them or <laughs> you know, shortcomings uh, in, in any way, but you, I mean, you've got the same thing in, in Australia. There's, you know, there's always somehow somebody's going to work out how to get their hands on it if they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the there are good like there's legal means of acquiring this and the checks that are done. Man, it, Australia's changed since since you've been here, man. It, it's in some cases it's gotten harder, and other cases it's gotten easier. So so things like uh, pistols, fucking mate, it's pointless these days. Yeah, any sort of semi-license here is quite difficult. I mean, a farmer, a primary producer now can uh, get a shotgun uh, and a twenty-two semi-automatic or pump, and that's it. And what was the other things? Oh, we have an appearance law here now too, which has changed. So, uh, which in some states it it's not overly strict. Other states uh, are terrible. So, like uh, WA, if you have a chassis system, that's it. it. Looks like an AR15. It must be an AR15. And we all know that you can you can fucking destroy the world with an AR15. So, yeah, yeah. You're sitting there going, "Well, I'm glad I got out of that shit." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just think I was like, "Well, fuck! How many chassis systems do I have in the in the safe right now?" And they're, they're on bolt guns. <laughs> yeah, that's the ludicrous yeah. behind the wars, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, if it looks scary, but then you can have a, a timber stock on something that would blow a tree apart, and no one bad denial it. It's stupid, but that's yeah. the world we live in. Yep, and look, honestly. It's it's been an outstanding podcast, mate. It's been so good to have you on, and unfortunately, mm. we've got to put it in there because time doesn't permit us. We could chat to you forever, man. So I think we'll uh, we'll have to catch back up again with you another time soon, if that's yeah. cool. Yeah, with you. yeah, no, appreciate appreciate you guys getting me uh, on here. I know we've been talking about it for a while. I'm glad we were uh, actually able to make this happen and you know get the schedules to line up uh, as much as they could. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, definitely, and it's good to to talk to you after a while so one day we'll get to the states and we'll have a few beers we'll teach you how to drink again (laughs) (laughs) i i I am a professional in 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 that (laughs) so uh, i think that's a challenge yeah i I will give you a good run for your money yeah (laughs) done let's Let's make it up the end result though will probably be the next morning us both being drastically hungover gone Fuck, that was stupid. Yeah, that's all right. It's a fun night. And where did the horse come from? <laughs> and why is there four to five AR-15s laying right next to us? <laughs> Shit. Uh, all right. All right. We'll leave it there. Chris, thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been an absolute blast, and I hope everyone out there has enjoyed your story, which is quite phenomenal. Thank you so much, man. I Absolutely. miss you. I miss you. Absolutely. No, I very much appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, you can hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, chuck, chuck us a like or a comment. Um, just abuse us. I don't care. Do what you want. Yeah, just just, <laughs> just talk to us. You can get you can get any of us because um, we will monitor it. So 
you know, you can always guess who it is or tell us who you hate. Yeah. It'd be nice. Love your feedback on uh, this episode with Chris, which is he's been absolutely outstanding. Well, it has been. Absolutely blown away, mate. So yeah. thank you very much. Catch you soon. Thanks, right. mate. Thank you, guys. Catch you, mate. See ya. G'day, dude and dudettes. Josh here. Do you find it hard to keep your long, hard barrels free from gun STDs? Maybe you need a clean out of your bore. If this is you, jump on over to highcaliber.com.au and use the promo code SENDITMATE to receive a 10% discount on all your gun cleaning needs. And remember, it's sexy to support Australian-made products. Everyone here at Send It Mate uses high calibre and we can promise you that it'll keep your firearms free from those pesky gun STDs.